Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I've been reading the letters of Oscar Hammerstein III, and I thought I'd share with you one from 1939. It's about somebody goes into an old English pub, and the landlord says, we're having a raffle here this weekend. Why don't you buy a ticket? It's only sixpence. So he hands over his sixpence and he gets a ticket. Following day, he comes <laughs> into the pub and the landlord says, oh, yes, you bought a ticket for the raffle, didn't you? Yes. Uh, you've won second prize. <laughs> I said, oh, really? What's second prize? He said, you get to sleep with all the barbells. <laughs> so he thinks for a while. And then he turns to the landlord and says, oh, what about first prize? He said, oh, you got a packet of cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's that's, that's actually just, it kind of gets better and better, doesn't it? It's so so unkind. It's so... It is one of those jokes that, you you know, two days later you're, you're on a tube train and you're on your own and you suddenly just smile. You're still thinking about it. You know? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, Stack Waddy Games. Stack Waddy Games sent in by, Stuart, uh, by listener Stuart Penny. I know Stuart Penny. Uh, we know Stuart Penny, yes. We know Stuart Thank Penny. you, Stuart. He sent ten song titles, but I, I've actually abbreviated this, yep. um, Stuart. I hope you'll forgive. Uh, okay, five song titles, Okay. Four of them are by Frank Zappa. One right. is by ABBA. Okay. Okay, this is good. Four of them by Frank Zappa, one by ABBA. Okay, here we go. Do not try this at home. Filthy habits. While you're out, keep an eye on Dan. What was the third one? While you were out. Yeah. While you're out. Keep an eye on Dan and welcome to the United States. Do not try this at home, filthy abbots, while you're out. Keep an eye on Dan and welcome to the United States. Four of those are Frank Zappa. One is by ABBA. Which one's by ABBA? Keep an eye on Dan. Clearly it's a Frank Zappa song. There is absolutely no way ABBA would record a song with that title. 
You'd have to say the same for Filthy Habits. You'd have to say... He would have recorded a song called Welcome to the US, the USA, because it would have been sarcastic, and ABBA would never have done that. Filthy Habits. So we're left with two, aren't they? Do not try this at home. Is that right? Yeah. And while you were out. I guess don't try this at home is Frank Zappa as well. It must be while you were out is the ABBA one. Well, you're completely wrong, because the ABBA one is Keep an Eye on Dan, the one that no. you first to dismiss. It's an actually, no. it's, a tune, it's a tune from their most recent album. There you are. Keep an eye That's on Dan. That's very good. I, I was completely, as Danny Kelly, our old pal, used to say, I was, I was, I was fished in and I was doing sit-ups on the bank with a hook in my mouth. <laughs> That's really good, Stuart. Very good work. You win. Well done, Stuart Penny. If anybody else has, would like to challenge either of us with a Stackwaddy game, uh, you know, the usual address, whatever that is. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. I was looking at a load of new LP sleeves, album sleeves, if we can call them album sleeves. Yeah. Because, of course, the place I'm looking at them is on a streaming service where you, you see, you know, here are a load of... Newly released LPs, which you can stream or whatever. I suppose if you are if you are sufficiently bothered, you could go and buy them. But you know, here they are; you could stream them. And it struck me that the kind of standard of uh, of kind of images that are presented to accompany long playing records nowadays uh, slightly defy you to take any interest in the records at all. They're all sort of edgy, harsh. harsh. Yes, hardly any of them welcoming. They are, you know. There hardly any of them have got pictures of the artists on on the front. You know, they're they're just they're kind strange. of mood. They're, they're mood setters, aren't they? They're ghoulish photographs of babies. And, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And things like that, and strange graphics and yeah. and images that you can't tell whether they were taken now or they were taken in the seventies. You know, yeah. they're all vaguely chilling. You know, and it just struck me that um, I know they're not trying to do what an album sleeve traditionally did, which was get you to reach for it, really, didn't it? <laughs> the main job, first of all, in a shop was to get you attracted to go across and look at the rack and then pick up, you know, and we're talking about 12-inch LP and, you know, back in the day. But even the same Completely, thing applied. If you walked into a shop and you saw in the court of the Crimson King, you couldn't well, possibly not pick it up, actually. Just out of curiosity. And it struck me that the whole um, pairing of graphics with sound was so much a part of, of the record business for years. You know, I think I've remarked on this in the past, you know. Yeah. The record business was a branch of the packaged goods business. You know, it was, let's take the sound and let's put it in this kind of box. And try and, and we'll make it, it look yeah. like this so that people will reach for it and, and they'll want it. And that's clearly just gone away altogether. And it, it struck me that, you know, it's one of those things that you don't really miss until, it, until it's gone. And, and it, it, it reminded me of how important, and not just the extreme cases like in the Court of the Crimson King, although that's a perfectly good example, but just even more kind of mild, more middle-of-the-road things 
the, the, the idea of accompanying these things with a picture was so much a part of getting you to form some attraction, some kind of, a, you know, uh, a link with the music. Yeah. It was visuals that made you do it. And, uh, and it's gone. It's just completely gone no, away. No, you're right. They just tend to be statements about this is, this is how we identify, isn't it? You know, we're harsh, we're, we're, we're brutal, we're, we're, uh, we're disenfranchised. And it just, I wanted to try this on you, okay, because I was looking at a load of album covers yesterday, having thought this, and I wasn't even looking at 12-inch LPs. I have in front of me, Mark Allen, a a CD, which you can't see. Right. And I'm going to describe to you the picture on the front of the CD. And anybody can try this at home and see if you're going to be able to tell me what the CD is. All right, no clues, just straight in. No no clues. And so the picture is of a man walking down a sunlit city street, and you can't see who the man is, although I think I might be able to guess. And he's wearing a white flat cap, and he's got a cigarette in his mouth, and he's just walking towards you down this very brightly sunlit street. So you see the dark shadows and then you see the bright strip of, of the figure in the sunlight. And I think this, this image, which was actually taken by the wife of one of the musicians and was put on the cover of this record, and it's a record everybody knows and probably quite a lot of people listening to this podcast have got... And I think this image, although it's not a kind of award winner or anything like that, I think it was hugely important in just convincing people to give this this music a try because this music was made by people they'd never heard of, okay? You wouldn't have heard them at all, but it ended up doing very well indeed. Would you like to take a guess, Mark Allen? I'm, I'm flummoxed by this, but I, I, I feel it's a 1970s record. No, it's not. Okay, okay. It's It's a CD I've got in front of me. Shall I tell you what it is? Yeah, go on. It is the Buena Vista Social Club. Oh, Lord, yes. Actually, I have got that. Of course. No, no, I've never taken that in, of course. Yeah. And and I don't know if that's Ibrahim Ferrer. I think it probably is. I think it is, yeah. I saw him twice. walking, Walking down the street there. And it's just that image, you know, just makes you want to be. Yes, it does. Yeah. And. And it instantly makes you convinced about the music inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just think that's been such a powerful part of the music mix for years. And it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. That's, it was just a mood setter, isn't it? Just a but it also, it's not just a mood setter. It also it makes you, you know, you subliminally take in loads of things. You go, Havana, old cars, yeah. sunlight. Old chaps who've spent black and white picture. Old for, no, it's not black and white picture. Color oh, picture. Oh, it's color picture. It's, okay. it's taken by Susan Titleman, who's Ry Cooder's wife. Oh yeah, uh, who, who was taken. Yeah, the car, everything. Yeah, yes, it's fantastic. Um, you know, it, yeah, the cars on the back. You know, the old, the, the old huge American cars. Yeah, rattling around Havana, and it suddenly it just made you think, I want to be there. I want to. I want to That's be wonderful. in that music and. Uh, and I think it was a really interesting example. Have you got an example? I'm looking, I was looking at some records this morning because and, and we, we, we've been talking about this idea of records that, that kind of where the cell is over 50%, really, over 50% of the cell is the cover. 
And I did find one, and um, I think it fits because it's it's a record that when it came out, um, everybody everybody talked about it, and it spread way beyond the constituency of the act. So it's it's part outdoors and part indoors cover, right? And there's various visible things on the sleeve. There's um, there's some flared trousers. There's some trees. There's a patterned carpet. There's a large glass container. There's a there's a black felt hat. There's a pink T-shirt. There's the band's name in actual letters. Oh God, yeah. And there are the main hook is that there are several pictures of the members of the group with all the same elements, but there's a key difference in each one. Oh God. I'm so, gonna. I'm gonna have a wild. Can I have a wild guess? No, go on. But I can give you some more clues if you want. Yeah, go on. Is it Pink Floyd? Yes, it is. It is, is it Oma Goma? It's Oma Goma. Very yeah. good. That's very yeah. good. I mean, Oma was the classic case of a record that you you spend hours in a record shop looking at. Yeah. Whether you bought it or not, it was completely. Uh, and Oma Goma, I, I I discovered recently. Was it's a hypnotist cover, isn't it? I think it yeah. was. But it was and on the back is all the gear. Do you remember? Spread on the back, we'll come the, to the oh. we'll come to the, come to the back in a moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. I think the the um, the cover was shot in the home of a sister of I think Roger Waters, Roger Waters' sister in Cambridge. And so the idea that in the early days of of, of cover of big cover designs, yeah, nobody had a budget to go and. To yeah. go and rent some enormous great property, you just said, "Oh, you know, my sister will lend us a nice house. place. She's got a nice we'll garden. Go, we'll go and take it over for the afternoon." Yeah, yeah. I think that's what they did. Of course, on the back of it, you have the picture of the two Pink Floyd road crew, road um, crew with the gear. With oh, the gear, we used to look. At, we used to. Just pour over this for hours. I think it was taking an, an airdrome. It was saying the big and big and hill, big and hill. And, that's right. And the, and the two roadies, one of them is Peter Watts, who's the father, the now late father, of of the actress Naomi Watts. Yeah, who was uh, as one of the original road crew. But yes, that's a, but that's a case of something very ornate and very attention getting. Yes, it's really just there to make you just stop in your tracks, you yeah. know, and and uh, it doesn't necessarily create a mood for the for for, for the album, but it's still a, one of those fantastic records that you can just uh, you know just just it, it always always seems attractive. Yeah. So yeah, records that you've bought because of the cover, not necessarily anything really outlandish or really provocative, just things where you've realised. In retrospect, that so much of your your impulse to buy it was visually driven. It's just, I want that. I want to take that home. I want to take it home on the tube or the bus. Or Can you think of some some you bought? Oh well, I mean, loads of things. You know, little feet albums, things things like that. You know, they were, you know, the the visuals of the thing were just yeah. hugely important. You know, part of it, you know, because. 
I suppose little feet, like Pink Floyd, were, were associated, with, associated with hypnosis. Little feet were associated with Neon Park, who was the guy who, who yeah. did all, all their album covers, you know. So it was... Well, the cake on the swing, unbelievable. <laughs> the cake on the swing, which, of course, is based upon... Based on a famous painting. It's based upon... A, is it Fragonard? I think it's Fragonard. Yeah. And who uh, was the French 18th century painter, I suppose, who, uh, who famously used to paint ladies on swings... That's right. <laughs> and well, that's what the cake on the swing is supposed to be. Um, and if you look at the original Fragonard painting, I think it's Fragonard, yeah, it is. Fragonard painting, there is a, there's a, a kind of a bow down in the corner looking up at the girl on the swing. And if you look at the little feet cover, I think you've got a snail in the That's right, that's right. Looking, looking at the cake on the Something swing. Something faintly erotic about it too. Oh, definitely. If yeah. you look at the, origi- the original painting, definitely erotic. Oh, it is, yeah, yeah. Do you know who was the big expert in the paintings of Fragonard? Anthony Blunt. Oh, really? I think he was. I think well, he, was, he was the world authority. His, his sideline. How amazing. <laughs> All this in education too. The Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. So Jet Black. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful fellow uh, who I can remember meeting once. And, um, yeah, has, 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 has passed away. And there were only two things you ever knew about Jet Black back in the day. One can I was, put my hand up and guess one? Yeah, go on. Guess, guess. Does, does it involve an ice cream van? Yes, it does. It involves an ice cream van and an off-license, actually. He owned a fleet of ice cream vans, and, and I think it owned an off-license. The other thing was that you were told he was quite old, weren't you? Yeah. You yeah. never knew how old. And I have to say, I'm kind of amazed to find out how old he really, really was. So how old was he? Well, he was born in 1938. Now, that is old. So wow. he was 84 years old when he died, which was yesterday, as we're recording the day after. And he, that makes him only five years younger than Willie Nelson, just to put it into perspective. Yeah. And it also makes him older than all the Beatles, and apart from Bill Wyman, who was born, I think, in 1936, all the Stones. And the, the, the real old punk rocker was meant to be Charlie Harper, wasn't it? Charlie Harper, the UK slub, the subs, was, um, you know... It was actually he was born in 1944, so he, he was pretty ancient. But in 1977, just to put it into perspective, when the Stranglers were just taking off, and I can remember going to see them at the, at the Roundhouse, you know, Jet was 39 years old. Wow! And it's incredible, isn't it? That was that was old in those days. 39 years old. Dave Greenfield, so he was 40 when they were having all their big all over that. Dave Greenfield was 33. Hugh Cornwall was 28, and Jean uh, Jacques Bernal was 25. And I can remember Bob Geldof, even Bob Geldof thought of as being too old, wasn't he? He was 26 in 1967. So this is a totally different generation. This is a guy who was, whatever he was, 16 when the first Elvis Presley uh, single came out, was a hit. I mean, that's amazing, don't you think? It's just extraordinary. And it, it, it struck me also that there can't be that many people who were successful that late in life. Willie Nelson, I think, was about was 40 when he had any real commercial success. And the same for Bonnie Ray. But, but nearly everybody is successful before that. But to have your first real success age 40, astonishing. Don't you think? It is, it is absolutely amazing. And um, But, but didn't, I think, didn't do national service, we don't think. Do we it. don't think he did. Because he must have been just... Just yeah. too young for national service, whereas Bill Wyman is that couple of years older. Yeah, yeah, and and did national service. But it's it's the idea. I'm also interested in the idea that people who had a kind of had a go at life in one way or another, 
and then started again as started a rock star. And Bill Wyman is like this, you know, because Bill Wyman, he was in the he was in the Air Force when he worked yeah. in factories. He was in the Air Force. He uh, got married, had a child, and then thought, nah, I'm going to... I'm Give me one more join, roll of the dice. I'm going to join a group. I'm going to join these guys, <laughs> even though I'm seven years older than him or whatever. And, got uh, him because he had a van. Exactly. But Jet Black was in the kind of, he was in the, he was in the equipment hire business, wasn't he? All the rehearsal space and so forth. Yeah. That's, how, that's how he met the, it was a nice classic case of older member who's got a van. You know? Totally that, absolutely. <laughs> and so, but I think his other contribution to the group was that actually he had the most amazingly powerful thuggish presence. Because I think a lot of the Stranglers' appeal then was that they were really, they were quite frightening. Don't you think? Yeah, they just were, yeah. I mean, Cornwall was very, very thin and wiry and he used to have a little leather noose around his neck on stage. And Jean-Jacques Benel was this very kind of aggressive karate black belt. <laughs> And wasn't he? You remember? Yeah. yeah. And he kind of looked like a real, real bruiser. And uh, and Greenfield was just just weird and kind of rather distracted and, and odd looking. Um, and Greenfield looked. I'm going to interrupt a second. Do you know who Greg Dave Greenfield looked like? Go and check this on on on, on the internet. Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh right, that's good. He oh. looked like Edgar Allan Poe. Oh great, that's good. So you know that's that's a further kind of uh, slightly spooky. That is spooky <laughs> relationship. Yeah, and then, and then yeah, Jack but they Black fell was, out. They all fell out very badly. And they, well, they fell out with Hugh Cornwall, didn't they? And and and, and I, I, that's obviously just, it must have been just a, a, some kind of personal thing because money wise, actually, the Stranglers pretty good. They all had their names on those big hits. Well, you know, was Golden that, Brown, I, all four I, of them are on that. I'm I no more heroes. Three of no, them. No, but, but you know the you know the story of Golden Brown because Hugh Conwell told me this that um, that um, you know I, I put to him my old theory that. With any successful group, in the end, it's one song. He one said, song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, it is. It's Golden Brown, and uh, he said that it's split between the four of them. And Jean-Jacques Benel gets a quarter of it, even though he refused to play on the record. He wouldn't play it because he didn't like he, it. He was thought it was stupid, and he thought it wouldn't be a hit. He thought it wasn't Stranglers-like. <laughs> I know that's. But I'll take twenty-five percent. Thank you very, very much for the rest of my life. Thank yeah, you for the rest much. of my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, so now there are, there are just two, and will there be some reconciliation between Burnell and Cornwall? Yeah, as Burnell said, Burnell tweeted. He said the welcoming committee has just doubled, which is rather a sweet way of talking about uh, another um, member of a, a four-piece band passing on. But yeah, who who knows? Perhaps perhaps they perhaps they will still get back together. The two of them, unlikely. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit. From this next bit. I saw this new film that's out on Netflix, and it's by uh, a documentary maker called Bob Smeaton, who's made films in the past about the Who. And the oh, band. yes, I know. English guy, British guy. And, uh, yeah, it's called Travelling Band, Creedence Clearwater Revival at the Royal Albert Hall. And I thought that was really interesting, actually. It's very touching. It's, it's the European tour in 1970 leading up to... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Albert Hall gig as the kind of climax. But what was really, what really struck me about it is that in 1970, to come to Europe when you were an American... For in their case, the first time, and they're in their early 20s, you know, early to mid-20s. They're absolutely just overjoyed and so excited. And every day they get filmed and they're in Paris and they've been to see Versailles and they've been to the Louvre and they've got their cameras around their necks and they're talking about the exciting food and the drink <laughs> and the places. I mean, it's just because the whole thing is just novel. It's really interesting. And then they're in Paris and then they're in, sorry, they're in Amsterdam and then they're in Brussels or whatever. So that kind of, that thrill, maybe it reminded me that, you know, at that time, you didn't ever get to meet that many Australians. There wasn't that kind of total cultural exchange. Kind no, of. I the remember world. meeting Australians in around 1970, the early 70s, and thinking of them as these kind of exotic aliens, you know. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. And John Fogarty sees none of this because he's permanent in his hotel room, presumably doing press and promotion. And uh, which I think is a, a, a warning that things will eventually go wrong. And uh, and then there's the, there's the conjecture in the film that they are at this moment, when they play the Albert Hall, which is four days after the official announcement that the Beatles were split up, they are pretty much the biggest band in the world. I thought that was quite interesting because they probably were. I mean, the contenders would have been who? The Stones? Led Zeppelin? Well, the but Stones the idea were, Stones were probably not that active at that point. No, we, not really. Um, not 1970. Um, uh, well, no, let me think. Yeah, it's before Stinky Fingers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, they were, they were huge because they were, they were the sound of the radio. Whatever you, yeah. whatever you turned on. Yeah, you yeah. Creedence Clue or Revolver because it was just hit after hit after hit. And, Everybody liked Creedence Clearwater Revival. Students liked them, you know, kids in ballrooms liked them. People at rock festivals liked them. People didn't really know very much about them. I don't think they had very much attachment to them as personalities. No, I don't think they did. It they just had this rough that. idea of kind of plaid shirts. and Plaid and shirts and the whole <laughs> romantic image of the kind of F. Scott Fitzgerald southern part of America. And it struck me that actually we're a group to try and do that now, a group from San Francisco kind of transporting themselves creatively entirely to the south and writing these romantic, uh, completely fictional songs about about the virtues of the south. They kind of got away. We all thought they were from the deep south, didn't we? 
And I don't well, think we, yeah, we, yeah, we thought think... they were they were they were connected with river river boats, weren't they? And by yeah, I, I think you would be exposed as being fraudulent. Actually, if that happened, possibly, now. possibly. Uh, but I thought, yeah, and also I thought such an extraordinary story. There's a lot of the history stuff which I've forgotten. That Tommy Fogarty, his elder brother John's elder brother, was the leader of the group originally. It was his band, Tommy Fogarty and the Blue Velvets. And then then there was this switch around, and so you can see all that tension and that resentment building up when they suddenly they become successful so he's grateful for his brother's success and his songwriting but incredibly jealous of what uh, you know what he's achieved you know and they are I, such good songs the opening lines of some of those songs 737 coming out of the sky won't you take me down to Memphis for a midnight ride right. but that's just a lovely lovely line isn't it the, uh, it's funny you saying that thing about you know the, there was less um, international exchange in those days and clearly there were, that's the case. Uh, and I went to see Creedence Clearwater Revival at the Albert Hall on that tour, and I'm just thinking, and I would have been 20 years old or something. Well, probably I, the night that they filmed, were they? Just, I do not think I had met an American person in real life at that point. Quite I possible. Think, I don't think I had. Well, I hadn't until I, until I hitchhiked around Europe... In 1970, whatever it was, two, I think. So you... And I, I then, that, that's the, the first time I met the Americans, and I brought two Americans back to stay at my parents' house. They were, again, considered to be wildly exotic. <laughs> People came round to just sit and listen to them talk. Have you... Have you One was I, called Terry. He was you, known as the Young Buck. Terry the Young Buck Ryan, and with long hair and a big motorbike. The other was a girl called Annie who had kind of an amazing uh, denim skirt made out of an old pair of denim trousers with a kind of V-shaped bit sewn into it and, uh, and had an acoustic guitar and played Joni Mitchell songs. It was just so funny. And people came around and said, have you heard? The Ellen House got some Americans. You probably, you may not have seen that wonderful comedy series Derry Girls uh, uh, set in Londonderry. Um, no, I haven't, though. No. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> These girls, you know, Roman Catholic backgrounds during the Troubles, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's very, very funny. And at one stage, they have visitors from Eastern Europe. I think the Russians or Ukrainians, I can't remember which. But they've got one allotted to them as a kind of, you know, staying under their roof and so forth. Yeah, and yeah. They, and they argue about, can I have a go with him next? <laughs> <laughs> which is... It's a wonderful way of putting it. You know, you've had enough turns. I want to have a go with him. <laughs> you know, I want him to be my friend. You know, so it was. It was like that. You know, that if you uh, if you got a person from overseas in that in those days, it was quite rare. Oh, it really was. There's real kudos attached to it. So I don't. I you know, I'd seen American groups on numerous occasions long before I'd ever met an American. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. Which and when really you saw people like Bob Dylan being interviewed, I always felt he was so weird. He was so un-British. The things he said, his mannerisms, his clothes, you know, the way he expressed himself, the way, the way he thought, everything was just, it was so exciting. And your entire idea of America was entirely based on what you've seen in films and what you read in books. So it was, like, it was yeah. entirely. So this week, what have we been doing? We, uh, we, we talked to Danny Baker. This week, uh, about his upcoming tour for Word Down Your Way. We also talked to him about he is getting rid of the records. He's serious about this. Yeah, he? he said he got 14,000 albums. Well, he's kind of, he's semi retired. He claims he's retiring, isn't he? 
He's winding down the act. I think he's going to kind of eventually get rid of the big house in Blackheath. And uh, he claims he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do, sit in a deck chair and read P.G. Woodhouse. I really don't know. But he's getting rid of 14,000 albums and keeping only 150. Only 150. And we asked him about some of the records that he uh, was going to keep. One of which had been previously owned by Barbara Streisand. The first one that came to mind was Loggins and Messina. Loggins and Messina. I just couldn't. I I love the idea of that, that I'm going to... I've got to pick the records that I'll die in a ditch with. What's it to be? Television's Marquee Moon? No. Loggins, Loggins and Messina. I know. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, it's very good. And so it made me, you know, uh, look at my records, you know, last night, and I think, well, I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of mine. I don't think mine would... I'm sure Danny's would fetch a fortune, you know, because he's got an awful lot of those. Well, he's got a lot of white labels and all sorts of... Well, yeah, yeah, but, and I don't, you know, I don't know that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I've got a few white labels. But, uh, you know, so I couldn't retire on selling my records at all. Um, and uh, and so I think I think they're going to be here, you know, They'll be here when I'm carried out feet first. <laughs> They'll still be here. They, you know, not including a log in the machine. Shoveled into a skip. Thank God we got rid of the. Yeah. So we're talking about something I meant to talk about last week. Actually, um, you know, talking about people, the last hurrah, various things. Elton John is is supposed to be playing his final ever concert at Glastonbury next year, isn't he? Can we have that in writing? That <laughs> was a, two questions. <laughs> that was the one of my questions was, is he really? Is that yeah. really going to be Elton John's last show? Come to that in a second. And the, the second question is, if it is Elton John's final show, what's his final song? Over to you, Mark Ellen. Oh, Lord. Is uh, it? I'm Still Standing. Your song? Can't be I'm Still Standing. No, I think I was, it's quite a funny way you to go can't out, actually. finish with no, I'm Still kind of, Standing. It'll be your song. It'll be yours. It'll be, it would be Candle in the Wind. Oh, Lord. No, it can't be your no. song. It can't be. Tiny Dancer? No. It's no. Tiny Dancer, actually. It could be. It I think be. it's Tiny Dancer. Yeah. Uh, which is a classic example of how. Um, of how the past is constantly being reshuffled, isn't it? Yeah. In popular music. Because Tiny Dancer meant nothing until in almost this famous. Country, until almost famous. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's not that long ago, is it? Really? No, it's not. Um, it's a very significant scene. They're in the plane, aren't they? And they're in the turbulence. They think the plane's going to They're going to die. And they all start. Confessing things about the, their lives because they think this is their Somebody goes, I'm gay. Yeah. Go, oh, no, no, no. And then suddenly the, the plane straightens out again and there's a terrible silence, you know. It's extraordinary. Yeah, but that, and they that all, made that song. They, absolutely. I mean, I think it was always, I think it was always uh, quite bigger in America. I think it yeah. probably had been a hit in America. Uh, but I think, I'm not convinced that that is Elton John's final show because can't Elton possibly John, be. he can't stop. You can't. He's utterly addicted. And, uh, because what will happen is he'll say, that's my final show, and then he'll do something small scale. He will. And then he'll, that'll just start getting bigger and bigger. What he means, he's going to bow out in front of, you know, 200,000 people. That's fine. But he'll do something small scale, and he'll just get, 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 the, old, uh, get the urge to carry on. He, he will. not. So talking of remixing the past and about how things from the past keep coming, swimming, swimming back into focus, I just noticed... <laughs> 
that there's there's a 40th anniversary reissue of an album with additional tracks of an album that I thought I was the only person to actually have. And and I think it's absolutely fascinating how even really obscure records are being kind of spotlit and celebrated in the 40th anniversary reissue versions. I'm talking about the first album by Marshall Crenshaw. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> Yeah, which is a good record. Yes, he was a big deal at the time, Marshall Crenshaw. I don't think you know, but that's my point. Never a big deal. Well, he was Never. in the Melody Maker world, wasn't he? Okay. No, no, not in the real world. Never. No, in the, in the, in the not rock in press the real... world. If, if, if Marshall Crenshaw had been playing in the pub at the bottom of your road, there wouldn't have been many people turning up. Well, no, but there were various critics who wrote very fondly about him. Yeah, he was, absolutely. He was considered to be a bit conventional at the time, wasn't he? But 40 years later... Yeah, yeah. There's a special souvenir version. I'm also looking at in front of me. I couldn't believe this. I just saw it earlier this afternoon. Was that a woman called Ver- uh, Victoria Bergsman, who performs under the name of Taken by Trees, has done a homage to Colin Blundstone's album One Year from 1972. Boy, that's obscure, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? It's the great Colin Blundstone from The Zombies. Yeah. And listen, Colin Blundstone, wonderful artist and made some really good records, had one hit in this country, I think I'm right in saying, I don't believe in miracles, and never really had a big album or anything. And there he is, all those years later, being celebrated by somebody who clearly wasn't born at the time that yeah. it was all happening. And the cover of the album has her, you know, mimicking the pose he adopted on the cover of the, of the original record. And it's, it's just absolutely amazing to me. I, be, I always feel that people are just desperately flicking through the yeah, 70s. Trying to find something the, really obscure. Something. Yes. Something that nobody else has had, you know. I'll tell you another thing I saw this afternoon. Again, I got it in front of me. There's a, there's a super deluxe edition of, uh, of the Beach Boys' Sail on Sailor just come out, you know? This is, so 1972, whenever it was, when did Holland come out? 72, probably. Yeah, around then, yeah. They put out Holland, and then there, was, then there was that record, Carl and the Passion So Tough, which got really half-hearted reviews at the yeah. time. And everybody said, well, this record's got two good tracks. The rest of it's just filler. What do you get all these years later? You don't get two tracks. You get the box set. Get all the you outtakes. Get, <coughs> you get all the outtakes. But then you again, get all the live stuff. But you see, it's about completists, isn't it? Entirely. Because, you know, I've got several friends who are Beatles completists, uh, which I'm not, thank God, because that would be that, a ruinous end. <laughs> but, you know, if something comes out, you've just you've got to have it. You can't not have it. You just have to. Otherwise, it's, there's a missing piece in your jigsaw. So there must be a large number of people who just buy absolutely anything. Well, also, I suppose if it's if you're going to spoil yourself with a kind of box set <laughs> that you know, you know, you know, you won't play that much. Yeah, because everybody knows that about box sets. You know, you're you're going to buy it, and you're going to play a few tracks, and then you're never going to play it. You don't again. ever play it as a as a record. You ever. Never play. You never you play because you've got. F- Four versions of the same song with minute detail. Yeah. And therefore, it kind of helps if the thing is 40, 50 years old, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Rather than something that came out five years ago, you know. Yeah. Because it's like you're, uh, you're sort of apologising to the past by buying, by throwing money at it, aren't you? You, know? you are. <laughs> you know, I didn't buy these records at the time because 
that there was too much going on in my life or I wasn't I can born. Make up, I, I can compensate now. I can compensate now by spending £200 or whatever it is on some, uh, you know, fabulous version that I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to play once yeah. and never again. But I'm going to feel very warm about bringing it home with me. And looking at it, yeah, looking at the booklet, and you know, which I suppose relates to what we were talking about earlier that so much of the record experience was about holding something in your hands, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. Any other business? And we're joined by Alex Gold. Uh, I see, I've just seen that this is live information, chaps. Live. The, 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 the auction of Fleetwood Mac memorabilia, which is partially in, um, in aid of charity, has just taken place in the United States. <laughs> Go and on, the, big, it, the biggest item is the wooden balls, uh, which dangle oh, on the edge. dangle from the crotches the of Mick album. Fleetwood on the cover of Rumours, have gone for hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars. Wow, <laughs> which is is quite something. That is. Uh, various other items. A Thea Porter dress worn by uh, Christian McVie on stage in 1971 went for 31000 which I can kind of understand. It's vintage clothing, isn't it? Yeah. There, there is a market for that kind of thing. The dress she wore on the back cover of Rumours, $56,000. Um, but uh, the, thing, the thing that surprised me was that... Um, where is it here? There's something about, about bits of on-stage equipment like... Uh, Speakers and things were yeah yeah one of her Hammond organ speakers used on tour sold for thirty seven thousand five hundred dollars. Wow, <laughs> that's <laughs> astonishing. I can really understand it with a dress because it's yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. thing of the Marilyn Monroe dress, isn't there? And you know people actually <clears throat> wearing it and but all you that. You could put it in a shop window, couldn't shop you? Window, you, know, you, that's, you? But a art gallery or whatever. No, yeah. but if if you if you can sell a, a Fender Stratocaster for twenty five thousand pounds, then why not a, a speaker cabinet which is part of the Hammond organ instrument? It kind of makes sense in its own way. I oh think. God, God, you're dragging us into the strange world of musicians. Does. There, <laughs> wow. Because you to play the instrument is fine. That's the song. That's yeah. the that's the thing they could have actually written the song on, and you've seen it on in videos or whatever. But a speaker is a speaker. Speaker. No, sorry, the, isn't the, it? Spe- no, the speaker is part of the Hammond organ as a unit. Yeah, of course it so. is, but it's still it's, it's not terribly. Uh, it's not a terribly romantic just, thing, is it? Well, is it, Alex, I'm glad you mentioned this interest because I've actually got in my garage. I've got you know so some original Ray Charles speaker cabinets from the, from the 1960s, which you know for the for the right sum could be yours. <laughs> and we got we got some new patrons, haven't we? We do, yes, yes, we do indeed. They're going to be piped aboard shortly. Pipe, uh, we, I can't find my pipe. Oh, we got I used, the pipe. I used to have a bosun's whistle, which. Uh, I think David Holly gave me ages ago, and I've uh, I, I can't find it. I'll, I'll find it for next week, um, and it's we'll. Okay. It's, uh, it's, we'll it's, it's, it's a thought of the piping that counts. It's the yeah, thought bring of them the on! Pipe. Come on! Thought of being piped to. And board. we said we give them imaginary jobs. Give them we? entertainment names. We we'll give them the show business uh, based on the real names. We we'll give them. We allot them their place in the showbiz firmament. Indeed. So. Who have we got, Alex? Are you reading them out to us? Well, the, these this first two patrons are clubhouse tier patrons. So that's Whoa. the tier with all the trimmings where you get your own birthday chat, of course. Absolutely. And an invite to our new biannual 
do's where we get together and talk about records and such with ale. Paul Brooking. Paul Brooking. Um, Paul Brooking is is um, he's the the main character in a in a BBC crime series from the eighties, uh, where he plays a local radio DJ who also uh, solves crimes in Bristol. Okay. Wow. That's oh, that's Brooking. good. Okay, carry on. Bruce Ian Danton. I'm thinking he's a crime writer too, isn't he? Bruce Ian Danton. Oh, right. No, horror writer, actually. Horror writer. Horror shocker from Bruce Ian Danton. Yeah, Bruce Ian Danton. <laughs> horror beyond your wildest imaginings. <laughs> there Blood, gore, guts. That's Bruce. That's Ian and that's Danton. <laughs> Yeah, that's the man. Gore, guts, <laughs> laughter. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, these, else next two, these are annual patrons. Of course, if, if you if you subscribe annually, you get a 15% discount off your year subscription. Yeah, yeah. So it's worth doing. Amy Davidson. What did, did we decide that Amy was? The no, you thought she was a female racing driver. The right? because she was. Premier female F1 driver. She's the yeah. pre- Very world's good. first female Formula One Driver, that's yeah, good, excellent. that's good. very good, very good. And uh, the enigmatic Carl, the sound guy. Yes, yeah, so we, we decided he did lighting, <laughs> didn't we? Good, yeah. brilliant to have these people aboard. It is Followed absolutely very good. Kirk Schubert was he Kirk the missing? Schubert, I think was a member of an electronic group in the. He was a missing member of Telex. Telex. He, he disappeared perfect. during a Moscow tour. Disco. Of, he disappeared yeah. during a tour of the Benelux countries <laughs> in, in yeah, 1984. Yeah. Was never heard of again. Until he signed up as one of our Patreon supporters. Lovely to have you back in the world, Kirk. Yeah. Carry on. Rich Mills. Rich Mills, songwriter, I reckon. Has written for oh, Carly yeah, No, actually, Rich Mills, perfect. We just put a, we just put a slash in between the Rich and Mills, and it's a perfect songwriting yeah. credit. <laughs> it is Rich and Mills. It's yes. a Rich Mills. Uh, another, another Rich Mills winner. Okay. Very good. Very and last good. but certainly not least is Steve Dando. Steve Dando. What did we decide about Steve Dando? Was he the person who gave the name to the uh, the um, legendary the folk Dando? Group? What were they called? Dando Shaft. Dando Shaft. Back in the men, back in the years. He's one of back the four the Dando brothers who actually were original members of that band. I reckon. Uh, there you go. There you go. They've all got the place, and but it's lovely to have them all aboard. So nice to have them. As, They're very uh, welcome as patron supporters, and very welcome and. You know why not buy? Why not buy a Patreon subscription for somebody you love this Christmas? <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the Word. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 